0: Greetings filmmakers and film buffs, and welcome back to Framing the Shot, the show that takes a deep dive into the building blocks of cinema, animation, television, and beyond. We continue our discussion of adapting cartoons into live action with part two of our first thought experiment. Last episode, we discussed various examples of adaptations that went horribly, horribly wrong. So now, in Part 2, we begin setting the stage for what adaptations of some of our own favorite cartoons might look like, if we were ever asked to direct them. This episode is also chiefly structured around a series of questions, which I personally designed to tackle this unique subject. We now continue our latest adventure with... Episode 5, From Cartoon to Live Action, Part 2. I don't know if you have... A cartoon other than courage you had brought up courage at one point as a possibility of adapting it into a film
1: i did and i still think it could work now i thought about it more the problem with it it would be a very different movie because i would hearken it to specifically the era of when courage never talked which is actually only in really early parts of the series when you get into the later third he talks to us a lot and when you get to the very very end he like basically talks to muriel even it's very weird but before that in the first like really paying attention to the first season the first end part of the second season that's really what i would use as a basis And what the movie would be, really, is... You remember the show Wishbone? Yeah. So I don't know what breed of dog Courage is. I don't know if they ever established that. But if he's a certain breed and I find out what breed he is, I'll get that breed of dog. Fine. But we don't know what breed he is. He's a pink-purple dog, and I'm not going to spray paint the dog pink or purple. Even though there are vegan-friendly dyes to do so. That's going to just look crazy. So I would get a dog that looks like Wishbone because he's cute and people can associate him with kind of running around and being little. And the movie, the premise of the movie would be Houston and Muriel blissfully unaware about every single danger, like horror danger that they're in. And the dog being the only one that sees it because that's already a common concept. Dogs noticing things that humans don't. So it would be very much that, and the dog always doing little things that suddenly narrowly, like, narrowly save Houston and Muriel. More specifically, Muriel, because that's who he loves. Kind of like, you know the scene in the old Looney Tunes cartoons where either Bugs Bunny or Tweety, I think it's Tweety Bird more often, Tweety Bird, they're walking along along this dangerous set of circumstances, like in a construction site, but they always narrowly survive. Kind of like that, but with horror monsters. It's like, there's a moment where, you know, Muriel is cooking eggs for her husband and, like, also getting the dog food ready. And at one point, this nasty tentacle comes up from, from within the sink and is about to get her. And then Courage just jumps up and pushes the little button to um, turn on the, the garbage disposal. And then you just see the tentacle. And then, like, it gets sucked back down. It's like really over the top even. And then he- Muriel looks back and just blames Houston for the mess that all the damage of the tentacle caused. Like things like that. So that's sort of the, the, the rough premise of the movie. The specific story, I would take probably probably one of the stories of the episodes and just make it a little different. But in general, that's the idea of how the movie would be. And the way it would be shot, think 90s Tim Burton. And then you're pretty close. Okay? Think a little bit like Edward Scissorhands and a little bit like Big Fish. Now, I know Big Fish is early 2000s. So, like, Big Fish meets Edward Scissorhands a little bit, but with the color tones more matching to the Courage the Cowardly Dog series. And that's how I would do it. I would call it Courage the Cowardly Dog. The main fault for what I am pitching it would look like such a different movie. It just would. Courage wouldn't look like Courage. He'd look like a regular dog. So people might be pissed about that. But I do see that, what I've pitched, as something that could work as a movie. If, let me put it this way, if Tim Burton pitched that, a producer would absolutely sign on and give him money.
0: Now what what you're overlooking is that in this day and age, CGI is so good mm-hmm. that we could just make Courage completely CGI.
1: I understand that. I don't think it would be right in this version. I think making Courage CD, CGI with all the other humans around would just look a little silly. I actually think it would work better to use a real dog or occasionally a puppet of a dog if you need to for certain tiny moments. But in general, I think the effect would be more interesting. If you use a real dog. Because I think if you add a CGI Courage in there, it would just look.
0: Even with all the other CGI monsters?
1: No, yeah, yeah. Even with all the other CGI monsters, he would look. Let's really think about what a CGI Courage the Cowardly Dog would look like. You would either have to make all the other, everything else CGI, like the humans too, to make it match, or.
0: I mean, you're, I'm not saying you adapt his cartoon design to CGI. I'm simply saying that to give him more, to give him the purple color, and he's probably, isn't he hairless?
1: No, no, he gets shaved. There's episodes where he gets shaved. Okay, so, so he's, he's, not
0: he's not hairless. He's just purple. So you could make him purple without having to die a real dog. You could uh, intermix breeds to create a new breed, but keep him anatomically correct. And you could give him more uh, human-like abilities, at least to to get him to do very specific things you could never get a dog to actually do.
1: And what I would say is that I don't, I can't see that looking right. I see that looking like a bit of a mess. I see it looking like kind of like a bit of a CGI monstrosity a bit too. I'm also of the mindset to use CGI only when you need to, but not not as a total supplement. Mm -hmm. Because I always, the problem with my, in my opinion, the problem with CGI, obviously I always think it works best if you combine it with something that's actually there. But the other problem with CGI is it will always age. From the moment that movie comes out, CGI will always improve. So that it, it will always ensure that within 10 years, your CGI effect will look off in some way, maybe even just a little bit, but it always will look not quite right. Now, if you use a real dog, there's no fate, that that'll still look like a real dog. And yes, you do limit yourself with what the dog can do, but if all those 90s movies, Airbud, Bud, there's a ton of other movies where dogs do crazy things, if they were able to get away with that, so can a movie now. And yes, they would build puppets that looked exactly like dogs at times to do certain things. But it was all within the realm of a, of acceptable possibility for dogs. So that's my argument. Now, I understand the problem with making this movie is the fact that Courage isn't purple. That would outrage so many people. I understand that. And that is the glaring problem, is that Courage would be an actual dog and he isn't purple. But the problem is, CGI, I just wouldn't want to do it. I just don't think it would look right. And if I made a dog that looked very real but purple, it wouldn't look like it either. I don't think. Because you'd have the sonic problem. A little different. You know, maybe not as obvious and glaring, but it would still be a problem. Because dogs aren't purple. At the end of the day. You could even... I would even have a moment where Muriel bathes him and he hates baths and it's some new sudsy soap that she wants to try on him and he gets out and his fur has been like purpley pinkish dyed. That could be a nice little nod to that at one point.
0: That's a smart idea.
1: That way it's like, and it could even be in the opening. Like that's the first, one of the first scenes. So the, it's kind of like, yes, look, we understand that he is a purple dog, but we can't do that. And like, even in the first sequence, maybe he's still wet and there's some sort of weird thing that's happening downstairs, like a package is being delivered, but it's some evil thing or creature. And so you see poor little wet courage with his sudsy bubbles and stuff. And he's kind of purplish pink due to the soap and stuff. And he's going around and he saves the day. And then right when he saves the day, Muriel takes him up and he loves Muriel so much and she dries him off and he's normal again. And that's when you have the title sequence and everything else. So you acknowledge he's a purple dog, but we can't do that. Now, again, there's a lot of problems with this. Still, I'm not even. am I'm, I'm not guaranteeing that this wouldn't piss off the fan base. I'm not. But it is something that I could see working as a as a at least defensibly decent movie. And when I think of any other cartoon shows to adapt, the ones I like. Somewhat rely a little too much in the animation to it not where turning it full live action would just look a little cringy. Like Ed and Ed, Ed and Eddie, the physicality of what those characters go through, you have to animate it in some way because they do ridiculous things. Now, granted, it has a be- Ed and Eddie has beautifully subtle adult humor, but again, the, the sheer, like when they're eating the Jawbreakers. They're those massive hunkin' things that they stick in their mouths and are the size of, like, water balloons. Live action, you can't do that. And even if you just have a regular jawbreaker, a jawbreaker is still massive, you can't get a child actor to suck on that. It wouldn't work. And then the only other cartoon show that I really thought of... Now, I will also say one other thing. There are a ton of really obscure Hanna-Barbera cartoons that I'm sure could work or would be an interesting experiment to look into but i just don't know of enough like wacky races that could be an interesting movie possibly but i don't technically, know technically
0: it already was when live action when the the great race was made many years prior to wacky races
1: oh okay
0: i'm i'm assuming they're very similar
1: hmm.
0: premises
1: the only other show i imagined that i would want to do a movie of would be um Flapjack, because I think that show's really, really interesting. But again, a live-action version of that would just be gross. Yes, it it would. It would just be vile to look at and not in a a funny, interesting way. It would just be like, ugh, that's really... That's disturbing, creepy, and gross. It just wouldn't work. So yeah, I would stick with Courage the Cowardly Dog and I would sell it as I'm not saying I could completely do it, but I'm saying it's the closest vision I've got to something that might work as a arguably passable and even good movie.
0: So I don't necessarily think I need to read off the, the full questions on this list, but some of the other areas that I went into was characters. Do you alter their ages or have them played by other actors older than the characters?
1: I do have an answer for that. Sometimes what I think should be done, find out the age of the voice actor at the time. And that's a really good again, with anime sometimes it's tricky. But if you find out the uh, the age of the voice actor, that will help audiences for a live action version.
0: Well then most of them would be adults. As far as I know what is it? Melissa Milano, who played Kim Possible, she was like She was an adult. She was in her twenties. 16 or 17 when she started the show
1: because
0: okay. this was just after even Stevens was finishing up I think
1: so well, the, you see that's the argument there it's they should have made her older in the Kim Possible movie college maybe even early adulthood mm-hmm. Whatever. because when do. she
0: concluded the show she was in her early 20s
1: yeah so I think that's the thing is like you have to it's why it's hard that's why it's really hard to do
0: do you have the characters portrayed by a live actor, a puppet, a CGI character, or some combination or amalgamation? And that all comes down to the very specifics of what is necessary for the character, depending on what kind of character they are or what extra robotic or uh, mutated abilities they have. Yeah. Setting... Uh, Do you change the location or setting from what it was initially supposed to be for a story necessary purpose or do you leave it as it is? And if you leave it as it is, do you maintain the aesthetic that it had in the art style of the show or do you adapt it but leave hints of what that original style was on top of an actual
1: Mm -hmm. more
0: realistic universe?
1: So what I was pitching with Courage was what was that last one a little bit more. But I think it depends on the show. It does. It completely depends on the show.
0: Uh, humor and gags. If the original cartoon was gag-heavy or slapstick-focused, how do you translate that into live action? And the follow-up question I had was, do you maintain the physical comedy by some means? Because it almost never works, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Or do you come up with a different form of humor that is equally fitting and then you skip the physical humor because it just can't be accomplished?
1: Well, if you're doing CGI, you don't have to worry about that. But with a live action...
0: Because <sighs> that's... that's what gets Inspector Gadget. They actually they changed the subtler humor of the show, which is really weird. The show was actually somewhat realistic in the pratfalls and physical humor that they had they rarely from what i recall they rarely exaggerated forms so much so that it could not have been accomplished in live action other than inspector gadget's own extendo arms and his inflatable suit and whatnot Mm -hmm. um but in the live action film they amped up the physical comedy and it falls flat on its face yeah relationships and connections i wasn't entirely sure how to phrase this but it was more or less do you alter change or remove characters or character relationships in order to streamline the narrative
1: no i would say that is a dangerous path because that is how you quickly piss off the fan base that already exists
0: yes so you you if you did it you would have to do it
1: you, okay, you, would, I would, you would, I would have
0: to focus on the most pivotal characters and move fan favorite characters off to the side. You,
1: I would argue, actually, I would, let me change that. You can change the relationship. You can't get rid of them. You're allowed to adjust it if you feel it's absolutely necessary, but only with what's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get rid of them is a very dangerous choice. Like, yeah. that's...
0: Very well could be.
1: You can. I'm sure you can find an exception to that rule where a certain character should be taken out, but it's rare. It's really rare.
0: Um, origins. And this is a very big issue because so many movies feel like they have to spend either half the film, the first quarter, or the entire movie on an origin story when it's really not necessary. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just rehashing stuff that everybody either already knows or everybody would fully understand. Like, an origin is really only necessary to give context to a character's existence. But you can... We uh, we have not tried in feature films to just jump right into a story and explain characters in brief exposition.
1: That is true.
0: And I think we're, people are somehow either way too scared to do that because they think it's not going to work or because
1: everything teaches us not to when writing a live action script literally everything teaches you you have to establish the characters you have to so when everything is teaching you to not do what you suggest just suggested of course you're not going to do it they're always around it like with Inspector Gadget, what they could have done to explain all the gizmos is in the title sequence, you make it like a Bond title sequence where you see like the X ray with all the cool gadgets and something's like in the background explained. You could have done that. Yeah. People would have been satisfied.
0: I would have said uh you, you have him enter the scene in the opening with like that hero shot of mm-hmm. him backlit like Captain Kirk in Star Trek Two. Yeah. And then people are are coming up to interview him, like the the Mm -hmm.
1: newscasters
0: or uh, reporters in whatever country he's landed in. Mm -hmm. And they ask him about it or they ask his niece about it. And she explains his origins in a brief exposition.
1: Now, that's what they did in Scooby-Doo.
0: That is what they did in Scooby-Doo.
1: Why didn't that work?
0: Scooby-Doo, I'm surprised I didn't think about this earlier. That film does not work for me because the characters are too goofy.
1: And too changed. Although I will argue the second live-action Scooby-Doo movie is what the first one should have been. Mm. It's actually a good... Have you seen it? Once. I argue that it's a really good Scooby-Doo movie. It deals with these monsters. The problem with the second one is it took us to this island for no reason yeah like why are we going here what we want is what it is originally based on but they did what you're suggesting to just quickly establish what they do in like the newsreel sort of thing mm-hmm. and that actually was a de- bit of a detriment to that movie yeah i would argue
0: the uh, scooby-doo on zombie island film is pretty much what the first Scooby-Doo live-action film is based upon. This, yes. the structure is almost identical. Yes. Um, but, but the they anim- gone with that. The, the animated film not only has a better plot and a better handling of these characters growing up and moving apart and then coming back together, but their personalities are subtler than the live-action film. Mm. So if you had is made, crazy if you had, movie. yeah. If you made Zombie Island into live action, it would have worked way better. Yeah, as a proper movie.
1: That's true. That's so true. Oh my god. Yeah, you're right. It would have been a very good live action movie. Now I agree. Now, Scooby Doo, you have to see GI because he talks.
0: You do. No other way. He's a very awkward character that I'm sure. Today, they would do much better than they did in 04 when Even it came today, out. Even today,
1: though, I would hate to be the animator behind that. Because Scooby-Doo is just such an animated character. To make it live action is just so hard. Even CGI live action. Because uh-huh. a real dog doing all those things...
0: I think you'd have to go subtle. What do you mean? I think, given the ability to talk... Give him the ability to do certain things that real dogs can't do, but rein it in and keep it to the physicality of an actual dog. Don't let him yeah. be capable of of jumping up and, and landing he, in his arms real quickly. Yeah. Don't give him the ability to walk on his hind legs and gesture like a human.
1: Yeah. Which, granted, that's what I've been arguing with courage, too. But yes, you're right. Keep it subtle.
0: Somehow pull it in. Keep it a little more subtle, and it will play so much better.
1: Yeah, you're right. And that's, I think, that's an argument for a lot of these movies with these anthropomorphized characters. If you just tone it down, it works. But they get scared of that because they're worried they're taking away what makes the character the character. And the physicality is not necessarily what makes entirely the character the character.
0: No. He can still very much be scooby-doo but he doesn't have to do all the exact same things you can still keep enough of that energy because we love dogs anyway yeah dogs are cute and lovable and fantastic anyway just give them the ability to talk like Mm -hmm. all those other movies where dogs talk Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know the seventh section was music and sound uh do you make audible callbacks to sounds familiar to the audience yes Do you feature themes and music cues present in the cartoon? Yes. And do you retain a similar sound to the overall soundtrack, or do you go in a different but still appropriate direction?
1: Different but appropriate. Why so? so? Because if you already have the sound effects, the things that people are familiar with, but then you change it up but make it appropriate, that does effectively modernize it while keep while tapping into the nostalgia factor for people
0: so there you go yeah I that know sounds that right a, to me
1: yeah it's just it's a doing this whole thing adapting these movies into live features or into feature films the entire thing is a balancing act the entire thing you have to balance out every aspect of the movie you have to give and take and constantly adjust. And the danger with doing these, if you're off slightly with, with a choice you've made, whether to make it more like the original show or less likely the original show, that is something people will find and will make it the bane of the entire movie. Mm-hmm. That is why if you ask me if I will ever make a movie based on an existing franchise, I say probably not. There's some I'd want to do, but probably not because it is so risky and your careers die on the sword of those movies like that.
0: That is true.
1: It's really dangerous to do it. Now, I'm not trying to scare you out of Pajama Sam, but it is a fact. Although the benefit of Pajama Sam is not many people know about it. Right. So you're safer there.
0: Yeah. Well, there's there's a there's a fair bit of a fan base for it because they've they've success the company that owns it now has successfully re uh, published all the games on Steam mm-hmm. and they are have announced that they're probably going to put some of them on ps4 oh wow so it will it will be available for people to play on their controllers now which wow. it'll be a little clunky using the the joysticks to uh move the cursor around but, but still so, I'd buy it again
1: I know you would but i' see what you're saying so it does have a fan base but okay
0: it's a very. It's not very Someone, wide at all. Yeah. Not compared to console games. Yeah. You had to have owned. A, uh. You'd ha- have to have wanted to get games for your PC back in the day, which uh, didn't used to be as big of a thing as it is now. Mm-hmm. The point and click adventure titles were their own niche. I had one section here just labeled a little fun. Mm-hmm. Do you? Uh, do voice actors from the cartoon make cameo appearances?
1: Yeah, you need to do that. Um,
0: I think you have to do it with at least one of them.
1: Yeah, you'd have to. Yeah, for me, what I would do is uh, to introduce the title of the or to introduce the title of the movie because I don't know what I would do for the title sequence. I genuinely don't because it was pretty unusual and unique. But what I would think I would do is at one point when Houston and Bureau are walking around, they have their old style radio. And do you remember the radio announcer's voice was like very, you know, of that era? Like, yeah, see, you know that I'm gonna tell you about courage, the cowardly dog. So what you would hear as like they're adjusting the radio and then about to turn it off, you hear, It's courage, the cowardly dog, and then like they turn it off or something. Yeah. Like that. That's what I would do. But I would also have one of two things besides that. So, But so the answer is yes, you do need to have the original voice actors in there somehow, I think. Um, and what I would do is either have the famous, somehow have the famous Houston booga 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 sound from the voice actor. I don't know how I would include it, but somehow. Or you have the voice of Courage the Cowardly Dog say something, or somehow be around. Don't know how, I have no clue how, but somehow maybe even say oh you that's a really cute dog right and she's like oh thank you
0: the story what is your main story about could you perhaps adapt and expand upon key stories from the cartoon and make them more cinematic and what is the key conflict for the lead characters what is uh and what is a secondary conflict perhaps uh as part of the supporting cast you know what di- what direction do you take this into Make it engaging.
1: So this is courage constantly saving the day without Houston or Muriel ever noticing to a ridiculous circumstance. And as the broader story, maybe it's kind of a rear, rear window, rear view, remember rear window? Yeah. It's a rear window moment where Houston's brother or cousin or someone she, in her family, is coming to visit. But Courage keeps seeing these weird things about the cousin. Or like he's like he he's he's always almost evil, but then like, oh, I misunderstood. But then Muriel is mad at the dog because she thinks the dog's just misbehaving. Yeah. Because he keeps growling at him and snarling and trying to mess with him. And then either I would take the route where it turns out the cousin is like Damien from the Omen and he is evil. Or turns out Courage was wrong. Because he's always been saving Eustace and Miro from everything else. And then turns out he saves the boy or the kid or whoever, the family member. And then they're an, they're an even bigger happy family. So it'd be one or the other.
0: Uh, my last one was special sauce. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what are those special little additions or quirks, perhaps even nebulous things that will set your adaptation apart and make it special. Uh, What can you bring as your own director in this hypothetical situation to make the film work where others have not?
1: Okay. Uh, That that takes some
0: real deep thinking. Yeah. And it's really just, it could just be your overall process.
1: Yeah. What I would say is, mm, that's tough. Right, I know the way I am about a, the way I am with a, as a filmmaker is I'm very meticulous. I'm very no, we don't continue something until it's this version, this part of it is done exactly right, because I've tried and failed at I've, I've 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 had projects where I did the wrong thing out of laziness, and it's bitten me in the ass. So I would very much my benefit would be taking my time with this movie really not being afraid to do major reshoots and things like that. Even if it means the movie takes a few years longer to come out, that's okay. You know, it's hard to convince a producer of that. Of course I understand that, Mm -hmm. but that is what I know would be necessary in a movie like this. The other thing is I, for one would shoot this on real film, but then again, most of the movies I ever want to make would be shot in real film because real film would give a crispness and an edge that's very important to a movie like this. Now I ask you, for your Pajama Sam adaptation, what is your special sauce?
0: Oh, actually, the Pajama Sam was never going to be my my pick. Oh. That just happened to be brought up. Um,
1: What's your pick?
0: My Life as a Teenage Robot.
1: Live action or 3D animated? Live action. Live action. Okay.
0: It's a difficult cartoon to adapt. Because initially because of its aesthetics. It's it's a it's a mixture of art deco meets 1950s pop art meets Max Flesher's Popeye. Because that's what all the gags are like, is, is Popeye cartoons. And the aesthetics are built on very sharp angular uh, color overlays where the backgrounds are s- extremely simplified character details have round and sharp edges at uh, opposing corners you know it's, it's kind of a back and forth back and forth sort of shape to everything and uh, it makes animation extremely streamlined especially when xj9 transforms into different shapes and forms you just keep it to simple geometrics so to adapt a cartoon built on physical gags and built on a simplified art style to live action is a tall order. But I don't think it's impossible. I think you have to make a lot of very careful decisions about each individual element. It can't just be black and white, red, yellow, blue, and green. It has to be every shade in order to um, to make the right decisions so when we're starting with characters because i think this is one of those simple instances where yes you can make a film about this there's no question um it's simply how you go about adapting it that's the the real issue the first question is characters what what age are these characters and i think you have to keep them teenagers but you don't necessarily have to cast them with teenagers i think casting them with 18, 19, 20 year olds works for the the main cast because it's worked for many years prior. You just have to, the lead characters have to appear the youngest, I suppose, and everybody else can be a mixture. Um, Brad Carbuckle's little brother will be a tricky one because his character is a very hyperactive, very smart kid with a lot of passion for theatrics. And he he has a very mature way of speaking, even though he has a a self entitled child personality. So, trying to find a kid who can pull that off is probably next to impossible. I'm really not sure how to do that. Uh, at the very least, he would probably have to be ten years old, even though I'm sure he's meant to be even younger. And you would have to still maintain a height difference. Um, mm-hmm. By like a foot and a half.
1: Yeah.
0: Jenny, in particular, I think she has to be the taller of the group because as a robot she typically is a rather tall character. And the aesthetics of her design would be tricky because she has a fully metallic body. Uh,
1: But it doesn't move like one.
0: No. So you would have to come up with a subtle approach to the joints and whether or not you add additions to make her look like she wears shoes or boots, her clothing or the essence of clothing is still part of her metallic body. They're not actual clothes, whereas some fan artists will make them clothes on top of a fully metallic body, so you have to figure out where you draw that line. And then her hair is probably the toughest part because they're two triangular pigtails, that can turn into either jet engines or one of them can turn into a, uh, a satellite dish. (laughs) So if their hair, well, you have to ask the question, do you create electronic fiber optic hair follicles and work those into uh, a hairstyle? Or do you keep her hair in some sort of hard edged form? And I'm really not sure what feels right.
1: Have you ever thought of taking a page out of the um, Metropolis movie? The old one. The old black and white one. Basing her look off of the Metropolis robot a little bit.
0: Well, I think that's where a lot of robots Come get their aesthetic, yes. Uh, What specifically?
1: Well, just the really aspects of the both the womanly form of it but also the joints and how each joint is sort of accentuated in a unique way. well that
0: is what they did with the alita movie when that came out Mm -hmm. and truth be told there would be a lot of similarities between a, a teenage robot film and alita
1: alita shows it could work
0: alita shows it could definitely work um because the way they pulled off her fully CGI character was extremely well done. Yes. Uh, I totally bought every moment of it because she is a fully digital character. Mm. Uh, even the large eyes, as I said, uh, I may have told you, actually worked for me once I yeah. saw it in the film. Mm-hmm. So it shows me and shows almost anybody else that adapting this show would work on that level. It really is just a list of questions of what form do all these parts take Mm -hmm. especially her hair everything else is kind of easy to figure out the hair is the toughest part because either the hair itself transforms uh like tony stark's nanotech suits or it's a hard edged shape that stays the same all the time and her other jet engines and the the satellite dish pop out of elsewhere you know part other parts of her Mm -hmm. cranium another issue is how do you approach her eyes you keep her eyes those bolt shapes that kind of just roll around inside eye sockets or some sort of mm-hmm. flat shape, like maybe they're completely digital eyes, or are they realistic eyes with servos and, and shutters?
1: So I think you're telling me a lot of problems, but what would you do? I'm curious.
0: My gut tells me that her hair has to be a solid shape. Because I don't see exactly how you could pull off other shapes and make it feel like it's necessary. Because her mother slash inventor would design her with um, practicality in mind for every aspect.
1: Mm.
0: So having hair that could be styled because it's made out of fiber optic tubes or something like that seems an unnecessary addition. Mm. Keeping her, giving her a hairstyle at all is, is almost unnecessary in and of itself, but she is a cartoon character and should have an aesthetic that is appealing. So to maintain that, it should be a, a solid hair shape, mm-hmm. but I'd probably take away the pigtails for an a, a alternative shape. Mm-hmm. And I'm still not sure what that is. Mm-hmm. In terms of setting, the show would often present, much like Samurai Jack even, Mm -hmm. because it was a lot of the same people, you would maintain a color scheme that would shift depending on the time of day, Mm -hmm. because they would sometimes use a lot of browns and yellows, then shift it to a lot of reds and purples, then shift it to a lot of blues and greens. Uh, depending on the mood of the scene, depending on the time of day, depending on the location. Mm-hmm. So I would try to integrate that into the cinematography and the color grading of the film.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I would also integrate it into some aspect of the the skybox replacements if I wanted to enhance the way the sky looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if I would want to go all the way with like simplifying the shape of the world Because then you might get into Cat in the Hat territory. Oof, yeah. Or Lorax territory.
1: Oof. Gotta be careful. Especially Cat in the Hat territory. Oh, my God.
0: But I think because part of the aesthetics were a mixture of 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, you might want to go for a classic 50s aesthetic with, like, the kind of town it is. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and imitate that. So you would go to locations where buildings from the 50s still exist mm. and you would build it all off of that. That could be
1: good. That would work because people would automatically accept it. Yes. Because people can always somewhat tell when something is real and something is not. A good example, actually, for a visual reference of what you might want to try, not in the way it looks but how they made it, is how the movie Her was made because her created a very realistic futuristic city by shooting in, I think it was five different cities across the globe, and then adding very small, subtle CGI elements. And that's how it created a very futuristic, what I think was San Francisco or Los Angeles? I think it was Los Angeles, yeah. A very futuristic Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But in reality, they shot in Los Angeles, they shot in new uh, parts of New York, Uh, Hong Kong, and I think parts of Tokyo as well, and I think a part of Dubai, maybe? Very likely. They really went all over the globe just to create this futuristic Los Angeles, and then they just added like two CGI buildings, a CGI sculpture, and boom, you had it. So you would have to do the same, but what you would do is actually, if you go to one really cool thing you could do, in lots of parts of Russia, there are ancient 1950s Soviet structures that have this really unique, interesting design and look to them. You'd have to doll them up. You'd have to make them look nice again. But that's certainly a, a, um, a base, a foundation for what you could work off of.
0: Yes. And that does make me think uh, if we maintained a, a 50s aesthetic, then that would inform the look of all the alien creatures. You would build it off of the Atomic Age B-movie yeah. aesthetic, but make it look a little bit more polished.
1: Yeah, so that would be interesting. Yeah, What if you you maintain the 50s, but only you have to be on location? You can add to the location, but you have to be on location. Mm-hmm. That way it looks as grounded as possible. And then you just add whatever you want. That would look very interesting. That would be hard to do and expensive, but it would be interesting. Yes. Because there are a lot of places, I think, in Canada that still have very. Is it Canada? Could be wrong. I thought it was Canada. That have, like, some pretty older structures of stuff from an earlier time. Could be. I could be wrong about that, though. Point is, there's plenty of stuff. Hell, you could even green out a lot of sections of towns, but just keep the buildings that work. Right. If you had a very big budget. Mm hmm.
0: I don't believe I would have to change any relationships or connections but i think some memorable elements of the show like in later episodes or like the second or third season just don't even bring it up in in this initial film if there is even going to be sequels it has to be focused on what was from the first season but maybe bring in uh villains and conflicts that were more fleshed out later
1: Now, do you know? I don't know of a way you could do this movie without establishing an origin story. Do you?
0: I think the goal should be I wouldn't want to rehash the opening episode of the show Mm -hmm. because the show actually never shows us Dr. Wakeman designing and building Jenny. That's
1: true. That's true. She's already built.
0: Right. We get hints of iterations and her sisters who were earlier models in the XJ line, mm-hmm. but were never shown her origins. The opening episode is her meeting Brad and Tucker for the first time and, and walking outside of her home. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I would want to rehash that. Mm-hmm. The, the whole point of the show was her integrating into human society And so many films that are also like that focus on that as their main conflict of people accepting you. But the show never, never really made it a super contentious issue. Like no one ever, people insulted her, but she took it well.
1: You know what you could do? You have the movie like start out that way where it's like her integrating into human society. But then it's literally interrupted by like an up sudden powerful force, whether it's invading robots, whether it's a villain, whether it's aliens, whatever it is, it's sudden and it smacks hard in the face, that old thing that was going on. And they have to accept her now because she's the one that's going to save the day. That could be an option.
0: I would just kind of wish that in this particular case, I could avoid that initial introduction. Yeah. Like I would rather she know Brad and Tucker already. I would rather the town know about her and accept her to some degree but still be uncertain and you just kind of have that lingering in the background until she really saves the day uh, by the end of the film.
1: That's a good point now would you want to make it do a happy middle where Brad and Tucker come to her house but the mother her mother doesn't let her leave?
0: No, I think we would just reference that
1: okay. I do think you've got something going here. I just think you brought up a good point by saying how the show does kind of rely on her integrating, but they don't make a big of a deal. While while it's very much about that, the show doesn't make a big deal about it.
0: Yeah, and since the show is called what it's called, you have to emphasize the, uh, the social interaction aspect of it.
1: Yeah. What you could do is the introductions that she's going through are not the ones you'd normally cover in a movie in an introductory movie. Like she's instead of experiencing life for the first time, it's just whatever the next phase of introductions would be. That's what you start with.
0: Yeah. Th- this would also be a point where we could bring in Sheldon at mm-hmm. this point rather than earlier on because he has a super hard crush on her. Mm-hmm. So we bring him in at this point even though he's already she's already met everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, he could be just a newcomer that could be. at this point.
1: What if the movie starts in Sheldon's perspective?
0: Certainly could. It wouldn't have to stay there, but it could somehow you pull, like, a Hellboy
1: there. where it starts off in someone else's perspective. Yeah. Because that's, that's one of the brilliant things about the first Hellboy movie, is it eases us into this crazy world very effectively. And maybe that's what you need to do. Slightly. Maybe even just for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like he's either, I'm not saying he has to move in. He's like new in town, but maybe he's shy or something. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I don't think I'd want to bring in the whole silver shell aspect, which is a, a robot suit he built to realize. Oh right. To interact with XJ9 as a totally separate character.
1: No, you don't need to do that.
0: Because that's a little too complex at, at the start. Yeah. It probably the film would probably have to begin with the whole blow up the asteroid thing that's in the initial episode because I think that's a great way to start things off. Hmm. Where an asteroid is heading towards Earth, yeah. it's not going to melt in the atmosphere. I what have if that's to blow the very
1: up. what if that's the very first scene?
0: It is. I think it should be because yeah. you, you, uh, it's it would start off with her backlit. That's a big thing for me. I love yeah, backlit, yeah, shots. backlit shots. <laughs> uh start off with her backlit just streaking across the sky from various different shots and then you get a shot of the sun rolling over her and you can see her fully and she has she begins to pull out all of her weapons to blow up yeah. the asteroid.
1: So that's what you do. That's but here's here's what you could here's the here's what oh my god, here's what you could do. She blows up the asteroid, okay? And then she lands and then it's like the regular show now but in movie form, you know, she's just doing her thing.
0: She but, could land on earth and get ready for school yes. at that moment.
1: She gets ready for school in that moment. But what happens is, when, here's how your movie changes, when she blows up the asteroid, a few pieces come down, and those pieces inside of them have some sort of alien thing that start to take over. That
0: yeah. And that's like the later on villain. That's a a very common like, way to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's common. It's it's a uh, I would almost rather have, um, if it's going to be that, then it needs to be an asteroid that was sent by the cluster. Yeah. And there's there's like tiny bits of cluster robots that will do reconnaissance from those parts of the asteroid.
1: Yeah. And that's how you establish for possible sequels, if that is eventually a thing. Yeah. But... Literally it's she blows up the asteroid, she comes down and she's like she runs into school and she's like, They're like, You're late or something like that and she like they don't even care almost. I
0: actually think she should land expertly and walk in with everybody else. Like Oh, that's no big deal. I blew up an asteroid today.
1: There you go. But then literally as she's like experiencing class and stuff, you see you also see like some asteroid bits come by and they either burrow themselves into ground or you see inside suddenly it's like part of the cluster. Or maybe those little asteroid bits send like a message somehow back to the cluster. right? And that establishes the villains. Mm-hmm. And then there you go. We've, we're figuring it out.
0: Yeah, it really it really should just start at that point in time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you still keep up the, the contentious relationship between her and general society in town. Yeah. Her and the... The Crust Cousins, which are the two super rich girls. Uh, oh, I forgot girls.
1: about them. The Crust Cousins. Yeah. Oh, of course, that was her
0: name. Um, Sheldon trying to date Jenny should be an aspect. I'm not sure how far it should be taken. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how large of an aspect of the film that would take.
1: But you can't get rid of it. it no. There.
0: A real question, though, is should should it actually work out in the end? Because Sheldon uh, near the end of the show was a rather cringy character because he was so obsessed.
1: Mm. What you do is, couldn't you have it where she gives him a big loving hug or a kiss on the cheek or something where it's like implied, but you don't really know. We don't fully answer the question.
0: That's probably the best way. Something, something subtle that uh, makes him happy, but... As long as we, we maintain a less cringy personality you for You have to him. make him less creepy.
1: Yeah. Because in animation, it's funny. In live action, it would actually be disturbing. Yes. You'd be telling her, run! Get away from him! Also, I realized, the so she would have to be CGI, but here's why it would work. You'd, her look should be a... I know this is going to sound weird, but hear me out. Her look should be a combination of um, Alita and Ultron.
0: Where it's less human-like on the face,
1: where it's because you don't want to give her actual human flesh.
0: No, but you. uh, But that is a good question. How? What kind of? I think you would want to try to give her that that tiny pointy nose. No, yeah. And you would you would want to either digitally design. the, like the corners of the mouth to be a certain way so that it has a more cartoonish aesthetic or find an actress who has a, a unique face to her.
1: I also realized a really great trailer, opening trailer for her. You see this flying metal figure and it like implies that it's like an Iron Man sort of thing. And then it lands. And then like maybe either a mask opens up or maybe it's just, it lands and then the dust clears and you see her and she's like, what were you expecting? And then it's my life as a teenage robot. Yes. something like that. That'd be a great yep. trailer for it. But you heavily imply it's like a Marvel superhero Iron Man type thing. Right. With like blasters and lasers and like jets and everything. And then boom! Superhero like even fist on the ground rises up. Holds something up and then she's like texting. And then she looks like, what were you expecting?
0: Yep. That's pretty much.
1: That's how you much. do it. That's how you do the intro. The commercial.
0: I love it. When one gets... Uh, one wonders why this is not already a thing. That's true. One wonders why Disney didn't uh, green light a feature film of Kim Possible rather than a TV movie.
1: Because Disney is weird with what they think is going to be good. They also have very strange rules about with how they handle their Disney Channel content. Like I think the rule is no more than five or four seasons, and then no matter what, they stop.
0: I yeah, think. the fans had to beg them for a sixth season of Kim Possible in the yep. in, back in the day.
1: Yep. So for some reason, they are intent on no matter what, except for in rare cases where the fan, fans beg, they stop. I don't know why. Does that really? Because that doesn't make sense to me.
0: No. But they. Insist. I guess they just want to rotate resources to the next big thing to keep uh, to keep up. revenue high and and uh, merchandise sales high
1: so with that in mind if they're the type of company where they treat where they treat it that way you can bet they're never going to make a feature movie about it high school musical it's a miracle and not that i care about this movie at all but i was shocked when a, the third movie was actually going to be in theaters yeah that just shows you how big it was for people that they were willing to put the third one in theaters. Right. Same with like Lizzie McGuire. They put that in theaters.
0: Did they? Yeah.
1: Like mm. no one thought that was gonna be anything, but that was such a big thing for people that they put that last movie in like movie theaters. It's the one where she like goes to. Why do I know too much about this?
0: <laughs> I am wondering that myself.
1: Yeah, I don't know why I know too much about that.
0: Music and sound. Uh, the the soundtrack for the show was very distinctive, and it was also very early two thousands because there seemed to be a, a handful of shows that had sort of the ratchet and clank soundtrack to them, where it was very it was very electronics heavy, a lot of grungy sounds and mechanical. And I think either one of the other possible questions I had on there was, do you get the original composer back? and ask them to amp it up to the next level.
1: I would say you get the composer back, but you make him work with someone newer and they have to work together. Okay. But that would just be my personal style because sometimes you can get some great music with that. Like when uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross worked together on um, the soundtrack for the social network. It's one of the best film soundtracks in recent memory. It's awesome.
0: I think maybe taking the the soundtrack as it was and trying to intermix something more 50s into it mm-hmm. would help with the overall aesthetic or maybe it wouldn't matter. It's hard to it's hard for me to say without hearing examples. Mm-hmm. But visually speaking the 50s aesthetic has to be maintained all throughout because the characters costumes in the show look very 50s to me. Um mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily early 60s nope. but a little bit of that too i gotta
1: say what they look like to me is if they that whole world looks like a world where the 60s never happened
0: yeah that that is it it it's a, uh, it's very disney world ish yeah uh, so, di- uh magic kingdom ish
1: yeah so that's what I think you have to find, is when you're shooting it, you have to find... It isn't literally 50s, it is a world where the 60s didn't happen. Because mm-hmm. there's still futuristic tech in there. No, uh, And futuristic stuff.
0: Other than the robots, yes. Yeah. other th- Other than what Wakeman and other scientists like her have done. In this town, there's nothing specifically unique. Everything's fairly normal.
1: Yeah, but normal for... There are literally some things that they use that like don't wouldn't have really existed in the fifties, per se. No,
0: there there likely is not.
1: So that's why it's like, yeah, what I was saying about it, it's a world where the sixties never happened, and then this technology somewhat increased, mostly in robot technology. Mm-hmm.
0: I believe we got into introductions because of that whole asteroid sequence. Um, I think it would be necessary for some explanation to be made either through hints of stuff in the background or Sheldon, since he would be our audience surrogate. Mm -hmm. He would have to ask about Jenny and someone would have to explain to him um, who she is, what her her basic origins are. Mm -hmm. The story, as we were beginning to allude, for Teenage Robot should be Something related to the cluster, because they are the primary villains, but it doesn't necessarily have to be... I mean, in typical form, you wouldn't bring in Vexus at first. You would bring Mm -hmm. in her henchman that shows up in, like, episode six or seven. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe his name is Primus.
1: Oh, General Primus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what you do. Maybe General Primus talks to the queen at one point. Yeah. Um, maybe like at the end
0: I think you could bring her in earlier you would You would have
1: like she doesn't at actually least
0: two scenes with her Euthanos her Euthanos her Euthanos her. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> her, yes
1: that's what you have to do that's going to be a verb now Euthanos them
0: uh, for later and the then re- there, uh, there's a character named Krakus who is a uh, a wily little robot inventor where he invents other robot contraptions, and he's not necessarily very good at it, but he could have been the one who implanted the probes in the asteroid that fell to Earth. So uh, he would be relaying uh, messages of success, my queen.
1: Well, what he could find is like he he finds one of the one of the broken up asteroids. And he takes it back to his lab, and he tweaks with it, and is able to contact the queen or something.
0: Well, or, he wouldn't be on Earth yet. Oh,
1: he wouldn't be on Earth.
0: Or he would be inside the asteroid himself, and he would be on Earth, and really? then he would, like, he would be in bits and pieces and reassemble himself like the Iron Giant. Oh my
1: God, that would be something. But the thing is, you have to be. So here's the thing: you have Krakus, and then you have what was the general's name? Primus. You can't have you if you have Krakus, General Primus, and then the Queen. You have too many villains right there. Yeah. Well, there
0: those are two henchmen for her. Primus is your main villain for this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vexus is the background villain. Uh, Krakus is just your your henchman guy. Okay. He's less important.
1: Then you make that as long as that's clear. He has to be significantly less important in the. And movie. he
0: typically is. He's a very short character that doesn't pose much of a threat most mm-hmm. of the time.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. Now we get to my special sauce. Yay. Special spices. Um.
1: 11 herbs and spices.
0: The special ingredient that I like to think I can bring is an attention to visual aesthetics in terms of shot design and the pacing of a film and trying to get just that right emotional spark for scenes of character interactions that are pivotal to the story. Because if those don't land right, the film does not have the momentum to move forward. Especially for character arcs. Aesthetics are also important to me because I love wide shots. Especially when they're they're done with a composition that is painterly in its design. And... Um, I, I I like shots that are exciting in and of themselves. You don't need a shot before or after. It's just this shot is so great, I want to frame it on my wall, whether it moves or whether it's locked off. So trying to have enough of those in there that also adhere to the 1950s aesthetic would be just wonderful. So as you, you've probably noticed, folks... uh this takes a lot out of you to think about. This is a this is a a very difficult subject to discuss and a very lengthy one because there's so many ways that it can go wrong, so many points where you might want to stop and, and rethink your strategy, and so many points where you might want to just completely stop altogether because it might not be worth it. It probably still will be worth it, ultimately, and unfortunately for the producers making all the money, but will it really benefit anybody else? Might benefit the kids, and ain't gonna benefit the parents though. And arguably, I'd rather not give kids just any old garbage. I'd rather give them something that they can remember fondly for years to come, and when they rewatch it as an adult, they realize, hey, this actually is pretty darn good.
1: I have to fully agree there. You know, there's a different we we always look back at movies that we loved as a kid and we instantly know the ones that were actually terrible. But when we look back at a movie and we realize that it was still good, that's movie magic right there.
0: Any other closing remarks besides that one?
1: What I would say is we talk as if what the people who have made these failed movies do is easy, and I for one moment want just to acknowledge that we do not know what those directors went through. There's always a chance that they went through some production company or producers that were hard set on making things not work. And we could also imagine that we've all made movies, I've definitely made movies, where they do not turn out the way I imagine. So as begrudgingly as I may say a lot of nasty stuff about some of these movies, most notably the Sonic movie, I'm not trying to belittle what the director is trying to do, but simply saying that it can be done better. And if that upsets some people, well, I, I'm sorry, but it's not personal. It's just the truth.
0: You've been listening to Framing the Shot, Episode 5, From Cartoon to Live Action, Part 2, with my guest, Cotton Chivarelli. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode entitled, Episode 6, Functions of the Long Walk. We'll be keeping the topic a bit of a mystery until then. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to see discussed on this show, please be sure to leave a comment or send a message through my social media links. There are so many incredible aspects of the filmmaking process that need deeper discussion, so I hope you'll come along for the ride. And that's a wrap, everybody. We'll see you next time.